We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. friends welcome to kirk your enthusiasm presented by pod maverick today i am joined by my friend and yours kevin o'connor kevin how you doing today i'm doing excellent today kirk how you doing i'm good i am just now realizing as we started recording i did not plug in my hd camera so you guys won't get to see me in hd i know you're all very very sad about that anyway um before we get started i just read an amazing comment on our last youtube video where i apparently made a poor argument about chris paul and let me just say that my chris paul hatred must have clouded my judgment everything i said was wrong and we will scrape it from the record for eternity so kevin this is your ungodly (laughs) bit I know you like that segue. Um, This is your ungodly busy season. Not that you're never not busy, but uh, we really, we really thank you for, for taking some time to, to hang out with us here because Mavericks fans, as you have probably guessed, are a little bit anxious. So, Mm. so before we dive into the draft stuff, I wanted to talk to you about the year at large because I wanted to, to lead on some more happier stuff because frankly, the, the draft could, and, and where the Mavericks are right now, when the more and more I talk about it, like today I was in our, our Slack, I just, I get angrier and I don't want to be angry. I want to start the show in a happy place. So, you know, you have covered the year, the league for quite a long time. You do a ton of work. You are just an absolute grinder. Anybody that, that wouldn't know that doesn't, pay attention to the ringer and the various podcast feeds you're always working on something so kind of looking back what was sort of your your favorite narrative to cover the thing you enjoyed talking about the most with chris vernon like what what are the things you've enjoyed now that we have a moment to look back the day after the nuggets win the nba championship um i mean like it all kind of blends together <laughs> over the course of the season um, but like the highlight of my week all the time is doing the mismatch with Chris Vernon. That that's been the ever since I got hired by the Ringer in 2016. 
our first year doing that. It's our I cannot believe season. you've done it for seven years. Yeah, seven years. <laughs> I know it's it's unbelievable that like we've been at this so long, and hopefully many more years to come. And um, yeah, like I, that's the highlight of my week every Tuesday and Friday, or Monday and Thursday night, depending on when we record. Uh, talking basketball with Chris Vernon, but um, I enjoy everything I do. I love I love the draft stuff. Um, that's a, a real pleasure to do. I've been doing that that now for ten years, but even mm. before the ringer and um, writing's fun, podcasting's fun. Going on with Bill Simmons, getting those texts the morning of a pod recording. Hey, you get thirty minutes to come on tonight. That's always exciting. I love when that happens. So um, I love everything I do. But the highlight, the like the week to week, the the stable, the stable thing week to week, the mismatch. I always look forward to that every single week, twice a week. Well, it's it's incredible because the kind of content you and Chris Vernon do, the live shows you guys did this year. I had you guys do so much work when you had talked about how he sang some things to you. Um, I had forgotten that that happened entirely. Like that's all just this year. I mean, there's just been so many things that have happened. It's it really is hard to nail it down. There was that one account, and you you shared this today that like talked about all the different funny things, like laugh out loud funny things that have happened in the year this year. It really is kind of too hard to pin down. So understanding that, though, you know, you do a lot of written work and your guys process at the ringer because I've talked to some of your colleagues about this. I really think it's interesting. You guys have like partner editors that you do things back and forth with. And it seems like you guys have a really good process, the sort of thing that I envy at Mavs Moneyball because like we don't have the time (laughs) when somebody turns something in. I'm either like, this is good. This is bad. There's no (laughs) feedback. With that in mind, what what was sort of your your favorite written uh, story that you worked on this year? uh <laughs> let, let me let me try to remember <laughs> what i've done i mean i think oh i know i know i know early in the year early in the year it was like even before the season started or like the week after the season started my feature on daryl Morey. okay uh, i remember that yeah. one that was a good yeah, one the, yeah the feature i wrote on him because like some of the stories that were in there was the type of stuff where some people look at that as admirable, admirable qualities about Daryl and what makes him who he is. Other people thought he was a prick. I mean, and like there's so many feature stories that are written that are puff pieces and, you know, written to make people look in a positive light. But I was happy with how that came out because like I've been on that side of things where people are nagging at you saying, oh, they got to do this, got to do that. Hey, you want this story? You want that story? But it was really fulfilling to do something where I thought it painted a very clear honest picture about who the figure was and people can feel however way they want to about it like for me personally i felt like some growth as a as a feature writer because i primarily do like analysis and and thoughts and columns and stuff like that um so to write a feature article like that i was very happy with how it went earlier this season and um, I hope I hope to be able to do more of them, even though uh, if somebody wants a feature article written, maybe they won't want it written after. It's, it's so now. tough. <laughs> you and I have talked about this offline, like the the way content I hate to use the word content, but just the way we you know, the things we make written podcast video, whatever you want to talk about, it, everything has a shelf life. And so it's about the volume of work you put in versus what you get out of it and what your bosses get out of it, to be quite frank. So it's, I still think it's pretty cool that the ringer lets you guys do some of the in-depth work because like my site, like we're quick hit, bam, bam, bam. Like we do some better stuff every now and again, we have some really good writers, but it's just, it's hard because you just don't see the payoff and everything is so generated by a lot of traffic is still generated by search. So I really, I really like um, all these long-term, you know, these, these deeper articles you guys write. One uh, Maury story that I really enjoy. 
um, 11, I guess it's 12 years now, uh, 12 years ago, our mutual friend Jason Gallagher wrote a, a thing called Lockout the Musical. Mm, um, yeah. Daryl Morey sought him out and took him out to lunch to talk about it because Morey likes musical theater, which is, he's just such an interesting guy. I mean, compared yeah. to so many GMs who are just like basketball mm-hmm. lifers, I just thought that was... That was kind of an interesting thing. So here's a ridiculous question. Um, it might not seem so ridiculous, but I, I just have to ask you. Do you still like covering basketball? I love it. I, I very much love the covering basketball. I mean, more than anything else, I like creating. I like making stuff and having an idea and seeing that idea become a reality. That's like what I get off on the most when it comes to you know the, the career that I have. And basketball being a sport that I've loved my entire life since I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old or whatever. Um, the fact that I'm able to be creative inside this whole basketball NBA ecosystem is, you know, it's beyond what whatever I ever could have dreamed of when I was when I was a kid or even when I was like a young adult. It wasn't until I was like 21, 22, 23 that like I kind of, you know, I kind of saw what was in front of me, you know. Yeah. Um, so I very much still enjoy it. Uh, I don't. I don't feel jaded at all. I don't feel tired at all, despite, you know, how busy I am. Um, I very much enjoy what I do. I take pleasure. There was a moment earlier in the season where like my mom, she said to me, she's like, she's living in LA now. She's, I said, I had to do something. She's like, Kevin, you work so hard. Mm -hmm. Take a night off. And she kind of like stopped herself in the middle of that. And she says, I know you enjoy it. Mm. And like, she just like left it at that. And, and yeah, I do. I very much enjoy it. Yeah, you, you touched, and that's why I wanted to ask. And, you know, I, I, of course, you could be lying, but guys, trust me, Kevin's not lying. So otherwise, he wouldn't be doing the <laughs> volume of work that he's doing. Where you just, you see people, and, and you know, um, my friend Matt Moore actually berated me yesterday where he said, stop acting like you don't, you just do this, you know, as a part-timer. He's like, you do this professionally. It's just, it's your second job. He's right about that. But I still can't really place myself in the classification of people who do work all day. But then, you know, out in the field, you just see people who, um, particularly in their, it just comes across in the way they make their work where it's like, they're not enjoying the game right now or they're not enjoying. And so in that, that part can be a little bit of a struggle. So that's, that's why I wanted to, to touch on that. Um, We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before I get to this, I had three sets of questions that I, I sent Kevin the questions. He probably didn't read them, which is for the best. Uh, I, did, but, I did not see them. <laughs> we, we, they were in the they were in the uh, the calendar invite. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> before before I get to the next set of questions, 
before we get to the next set of questions, I should have told you that. It's fine. Like, I oh, it's all good. No worries. Um, I want to remind everybody who's in here in the stream and listening on uh, podcast and then watching on the video later, if you could go hit that subscribe button, that would be absolutely fantastic. It would be very helpful to me. If you could subscribe to, to Pod Maverick, that would be a big deal to me. It would, it's, I would really appreciate it. The second thing for the, the 65 of you who are in here right now, which is not that many. I know we get more during the season. This is sort of the nature of these things. Um, if you could do me a favor and go and like that stream, that's how we get uh, it can pop in other people's searches. It's just very helpful to me. So I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to like the stream and subscribe to the show. Okay, coming back to to we're gonna we're gonna work around the draft stuff, guys. You don't get all you don't get the main course for the Dallas Mavericks right up front. We talk <laughs> about other things. This is a, we're gonna hook, bring them in. Um, you know, you you mentioned that you, I, I first came across your work when you were doing more draft stuff before you were doing NBA coverage at large. Now I know you have to kind of get into the draft piecemeal because you're doing all sorts of other work throughout the year. As you've gotten more and more into your draft work this year. Which prospect has surprised you is like the one that that's become, you know, a Kevin O'Connor guy, so to speak. Um, I think, I think over the, the draft process, the, I guess the guy who kind of came on early for me was Taylor Hendricks, um, out of UCF. And that's a guy, obviously Mavs fans, like a lot at number 10, that was more so like earlier in the year in December, he's, he's state, he was my guy. He stayed my guy over the course of the season, Kobe Bufkin out of Michigan. Um, that's some, that's somebody at the start of the season where it's like, okay, I mean, he struggled as a freshman. He started the year looking better with Michigan as a sophomore. Um, you know, but all eyes are, are largely on his teammate earlier in the season, Jet Howard, not on Buffkin, but the more you watch Howard, the more impressed you come away with Buffkin. And now Buffkin, I have ahead of Howard on, on my rankings. And I think, you know, watching these playoffs, you know, like you think about, who are the players that could fit on Denver? Who could fit on Miami? And Kobe Bufkin, his processing speed on the floor, uh, his feel for cutting, his ability to make the extra pass. His, he's like a very like good, funky at-rim finisher using his left or right hand. Like He has acrobatic finishes around the rim. He can make the extra pass and play make. I'm like, oh, Kobe Bufkin could play with Jokic, or he could play in this motion that the Miami Heat run. Uh, I think he's the type of guy who um, I like him a lot. I have him 14 on my board at the moment on the draft guide and uh, possibly could end up even higher on him at that point. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if he ends up higher than some players ahead of him uh, drafted when we redraft five, 10 years from now. Ooh, that's an interesting one. I've not see I've, I've kind of, there's about like a seven guy range that I'm keeping my eye on and I'm not done enough. And partially this is just because I don't want to fall like, I don't want to fall in love. You know, it's really painful when you fall in love with a guy uh, like Desmond Bain, for example, only to see your team pass on him and pass on him and pass on him Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and to fall to the perfect fit with the Memphis Grizzlies. That absolutely kills me. Um, That's a good one. I'm going to have to do some more work into Kobe Bufkin. Um, So let's just kind of think like lottery-ish range, maybe top 20 at most. Are there any potential fits? with team that you absolutely love. So obviously, you know, Waminyama's out and and but then kind of from there it seems like things are getting a little interesting as we get closer. Are there there are any fits that you just love? Um I think like in the in the top five or six or let's just say number seven, you know, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Indiana at number seven. You think about what they have, 
with their they move the ball. Tyrese Halliburton is the primary source of offense. Uh, they have Miles Turner in the front court. I, I would them they're the type of team like they are a favorite team fit in terms of a bunch of prospects could go there. Like I think they're a good fit for one of the Thompson twins because um, those guys love the playoff ball. They can keep the ball movement. They could have great chemistry with Tyrese Halliburton, who's a great cutter himself. Jarris Walker could add some beef in that front court, some toughness next to Miles Turner. He could play some small ball five or play the four next to him. Like the Pacers are my favorite kind of team to match multiple different players to. I hate giving Rick Carlisle yeah. good players. Like giving Rick Carlisle, he's just he's just such an adaptive coach. Giving him good players upsets me because the Mavericks didn't give him enough good players <laughs> for a real long time. For sure. And that and that's like the interesting thing for Dallas at 10 now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like like who's who's the right fit for Luca there? Um, uh, like it's a very important pick for them. Whereas for some of these other teams, you know, like Indiana or, or Utah, Orlando, it's important. Like you gotta hit on your pick, but it feels like slightly, you know, lower stakes, or maybe you can take a little bit more risk yeah. and be a bit more creative and afford to miss because your team is so much younger and and that's what's going to be so interesting with the Thompson twins. I'm in and Osar Thompson. They're four and five on my board. I, I think both of them, like how much have you watched of them, Kirk, with like Dallas at 10? They're probably slightly out of range and they're probably not the the high, they're higher risk. But at the same time, they're they're higher floor in the sense that they are great defenders. They're selfless. They know how to pass. It's just they don't know how to shoot. That's like that's like a, a potential fatal flaw, but that's what makes them so a- appealing as a prospect for a lot of these teams because they're sure. both high floor and you know maybe their ceiling isn't as high as you hope without the jumper. Right. Well, the the Thompson twins are just so much fun because yeah, it it you know one of the things I think like this finals taught us. I'm getting off my questions, but I don't care. This finals reiterated how important skilled size is. And the Thompson twins are skilled size and they're, they're 20, you know, so they're a little bit older than you might expect. But when you go look at Kevin Durant's picture, when he came in from the draft, NBA strength yeah. and conditioning programs are second to none. We're, we're each a little too young for this, but the, the Houston Rockets took Yao Ming, who was weighed 300 pounds and seven foot six and could barely bench press and turned him into a monster without putting on any more actual weight. I really believe in most NBA's team's ability to, to develop guys physically. It's some of the skill development can be really hit or miss, but like, man, I would freak out if the Thompson, if either Thompson twin was there at 20 or at, at 10, that would just, I, I would lose my mind. Um, the, the fit stuff is just so interesting to me because it, you know, like Aaron Gordon's a great example of this. Aaron Gordon was miscast as a number one option. And where is he best at? He is like kind of a three B if we're being fair to Denver and, you know, he got paid his money and he won a championship yesterday. It's just, these sort of things are always really interesting to me. Cause like, if a guy goes the wrong place, it can really be bad for his development for a few years because, I've held the opinion for a while that I think like 16 to 22 are kind of prime development years where you make real big leaps. 
um, I was talking to was a Rafael Barlow who said the guy on women Yama's team, Bilal, he said he, his development over the last 18 months has been one of the most shocking things he's seen in, in kind of professional, uh, since he's been doing this as a pro, I, I don't know. I'm rambling at this point because getting you, talking about prospects right. starts to get me excited. Kulabali is a, like a perfect example. I mean, he's 18 years old. He'll be 19 before his rookie season, but like he was originally going to be a, a 2024 guy. And and now he's a 2023 potential lottery pick. It's Mark amazing. Stein, yeah, like do you see the Mark Stein report? I think it was this morning where he said that the Utah Jazz like him at number nine. I, mean, I top 10, right? It's wild. I participated in a, a SB Nation community mock draft. So all like the site managers and then Ricky O'Donnell and whoever runs the Washington Wizards took him at eight. Oh, and wow. I, yeah, because it, and, and, you know, we're progressing more towards the Mavs stuff that I want to get to, but it's just, it's, it's really, really something. Okay. I have another, cause I don't want to keep you longer. Cause I told you about a half hour already, 20 minutes in. Um, oh, good. I, I, I got all day. <laughs> and looking at the lottery, where are kind of, as you see it right now, the various, what I'm thinking of is choke points, but that's probably not the right terminology. Like in terms of the, if then statements where it's like, if the, the, uh, sorry, the Portland trailblazers want to move off their pick because like, where are the big points? Because it seems kind of pointless to talk about what the Mavericks could do at 10 without really thinking about what other teams could do at spots two through nine. Yeah. I mean, it's like the draft order is what it is today, but mm -hmm. I, I'm not, I, I have a hard time doing mocks uh, right now. Cause it's like, I, I don't know what the order is going to be. I mean, there's a strong possibility that Charlotte on draft night gets an offer for number two that they can't say no to, or that Portland gets a trade offer from some surprise team. Like we're talking to this week, this week it's about the Pelicans. Oh, the Pelicans are trying to move up to number two or number three later this week or early next week. It could be about the Wizards or the Pacers or the Magic or the Raptors. Like these, are, there's these other teams that are doing their work on Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller that have assets that have appealing players and picks that they could offer for those top picks. And, and Charlotte and Portland at number two, they very well could move and never mind Houston at number four. So mm. could they, if they feel like they're getting a strong signal that they're going to get James Harden, maybe they're willing to shift down five spots or three spots or 10 spots and get a bunch of other assets and a good player and, and have a more appealing package to offer to James Harden and free agency. Um, so like, I think two to nine, the, the one thing I'll say, Kirk is like, when it comes to preparing for number 10, I don't necessarily think the names are going to change all too much in the top seven or eight. It's just about which teams are actually going to be selecting there. So mm. like in all likelihood, I mean, like it's safe to say the Thompson twins scoot, Miller, Victor Wembanyama are gone. That's five. In yeah. all likelihood, Cam Whitmore, Jarris Walker, Taylor Hendricks are gone by 10. So that's eight total. And even then, like maybe one of them slips, maybe a Hendricks falls. That's always possible. Um, but, you know, Anthony Black, Kaysan Wallace, Keontae George, like th I think these are the types of guys who are going to be on the bubble of that top 10. And like in that nine to 15 range where I, I don't expect that to change too much for Dallas at 10, but even then, like does Dallas even keep their pick? Does they, do they keep the pick at 10? See, and that's kind of where that's, that's what we're, we're, we're getting towards. And that's, that's kind of what, what I'm thinking, because for me, for the longest time, what the Dallas Mavericks have done 
since they drafted Luca was do what seems like every team that gets a potential all NBA player does. Like I can't think of the last team that actually built slowly. Maybe the Spurs will be the first one with Wem and Yama with potential all NBA guys is press the fast forward button. Um, and they're, they're in this pickle and, and, you know, I've, I've discussed this with you offline. I'm the Mavericks to me have one, like they have a bottom five roster. It's dark. They have eight <laughs> free agents and all the guys stink. I mean, Kyrie doesn't stink, but it's like, you, you know, do you want to pay a bajillion dollars for Kyrie? It's, it's just kind of a difficult situation. So just, you know, understanding what you said, where there's still a lot of kind of factors at play in your opinion, should the Mavericks just take the best player available at 10? Or do you think they should, should, should look into trading back and doing the thing that the Mavericks have not acquired a first round pick since 2005. It has been that long. So it's like, do you think they should try to trade back and, and get future assets or maybe in a couple of picks later in the draft? What are, what are your opinions? I think the best move is arguably to trade down, uh, not <laughs> out, um, not out, but because if you trade out, I don't know what you're going to get. Like, let's, no, yeah, let's there's just no trading out. Yeah. The, the, theoretical, like the Mavs offer number 10 to the Spurs for Keldon Johnson. I think the Spurs are saying no. I also hate um, that. Like, what does Keldon yeah. Johnson do for the Mavericks at $20 million a year? Yes, 100% right. Like, I'm, we're on the same page there. So, like, what if Utah calls and offers 16 and 28 to move up to 10? Again, the other side of that Mark Stein report, Mark Stein said at number nine they like Kulabali, and then they want to trade up to get Keontae George, a guard out of Baylor. Um, if that's accurate, if that's true, if you can get 16 and 28, you can get a player at 16 of – pretty close to equal value at that you can at 10 at 16 and then at 28 you know this year's draft class i think in that 25 ish to 45 ish range there's a lot of good nba ready talent that can contribute early on in their careers like we just saw in the finals uh with christian brown he's being a contributor after a freshman year at kansas i think there's a heck of a lot of upperclassmen um, or sophomores in that range, like Colby Jones, uh, Omax Prosper, guys like that. Maybe a Dariq Whitehead out of Duke could slip. Ooh. He was a top prospect in he had high injury school. Concerns, right? He he does. He's had two foot surgeries. Um, but I just think there's a lot of guys. Noah Clowney. I love Noah Clowney out of Alabama. Versatile center can space the floor, but primarily like he's about defense and versatility and toughness. And I know like if, if the Mavs are you know, you like you feel urgency to build around Luca and to win now, but in this new era of the collective bargaining agreement, it's also very important to have rookie contributors. And I, and and I think I'm having a hard time with my rankings trying to account for that because I think that that should arguably increase the value of these NBA ready upperclassmen, mm, even if they have lower lower ceilings than some of the quote unquote risks. Like a Jet Howard is 19 years old. He's right. raw. Maybe he ends up better in year four, year five of his career. But if you can get, I don't know, like uh, I mentioned Colby Jones out of Xavier, who's older and probably has less of a ceiling, that there's arguably more value when that guy's on a rookie deal making two, three million bucks before he gets paid. Um, but I so I think the new CBA like that needs to be factored in here when it comes to where these guys stack up and what player value actually means. Um, but the 
Sure. It's hard to look ahead. I don't know. I mean, this I this know. happened in the the NFL when they did their last big collective bargaining agreement, where all of a sudden teams got like drastically younger. Yeah, um, they obviously have very different salary structures, yep. but it's been people have been chatting about it, and and you know I come at this from a Mav centric focus, but it really feels like this CBA is going to kick about half the league like directly in the shins, and I just I don't understand why the players signed it. Because it, it really feels like like cutting off future earnings for particular guys. I mean, it's it's going to be really <laughs> whoever figures out that that you know always Bill Simmons, your boss, is one of the things he's always been amazing at is is the concept of of being able to see around corners. Like he knows kind of what's coming next in the content sphere has for twenty years. Whoever figures out the next CBA early is going to have the going to have the most. Let's just say a leg up on the the race for championships for the next several years. Maybe maybe Denver already does. Ugh. Trading trading that future first round draft pick. Such a good pick. Uh, in the finals, right? they win the finals and make a great trade. It's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, because like they're they're in that range. I just said twenty five to forty five or so. Like now they have thirty seven and forty, and they they're gonna have to lose somebody next summer in all likelihood. Um, they, now they have two second round picks that they can invest in and get guys on cheap contracts that could contribute early on like Christian Brown did this year. I don't know. Like part of me thinks that might be the formula and increase the, the, the value of those rookie contract contributors even more. Like it's always been valuable. If you have a rookie, a rookie contract guy who contributes, that's valuable, but that could be even more valuable in the current league where, the, the CBA is restricting teams from keeping players. Mm -hmm. You might have to keep cycling guys in and out. It makes drafting even more important than it already was. Okay. So now I want to just, just kind of run past you. So I'm still hopeful. I think you're probably right that in the, the end, a lot of this draft goes more chalk than I expect, but it's because teams trade above the Mavericks and get these picks and it just kind of makes sense. But, you know, if, if a, a, a Hendricks, or a, a Walker, or um, are there at 10? Should the Mavericks just pull the trigger? Like, do either of those guys sort of fix? Like, Hendricks has been the guy that our site, Mavs Moneyball, has latched onto just as a plug-and-play, can help them in so many areas immediately. Are we overstating kind of like what he could do, or do you think he'd actually be a good fit? I think he'd be perfect. Um, I, I love Taylor Hendricks, uh, the defensive versatility, the toughness, the like, he can protect the rim a bit as a weak side help guy. He can switch onto the perimeter, and, and I mean, he's not going to be necessarily a guard stopper, but you can at least comfortably switch him onto those situations on guards and wings. He's uh, offensively, he's like 39, 40 percent three point shooter. With Luca, I'd imagine scenarios where he's used as a ball screener and mm. forcing mismatches he can you know slip out of those pick and rolls for pick and pop threes or he can roll down the lane like in high school if you pull up like Hendricks playing for in college his freshman year and then pull up the stuff that he did in high school he pretty much played center in high school and i, I could just see him being like a versatile piece for luca on offense a, a, like a great flank as a weapon for him and then defensively um, I think he's ready to contribute right away a bit more than Jarris Walker. I like that the Hendricks fit for Dallas more than Walker um, Two think similar types of players, but either of them would make a heck of a lot of sense for the Mavericks at, at number 10. If they end up falling there more, more so than a lot of the other guys that are going to be available. If it's, if it's not Walker or Hendricks, I mean, I'd really be feeling like I want to trade down if it's not one of them at 10. 
See, and I guess I get that. And you and I briefly touched on this offline the other day. I am Anthony Black obsessive for yeah, very nice. partisan reasons. Um, my, my comment earlier who got mad at me about my Chris Paul, whatever stupid thing I said, said he's just like, you, you know, you're, you're Anthony Black homerism. I understand it now. I just believe in the work because Black you know, is such you just don't see that many multi-sport athletes anymore. He, he's. I just think the guy has a lot of room to grow. And frankly, I want more guys that can dribble on the Mavericks because I don't want Luca to always have the ball. That's my thing. It's like I've been thinking a lot the past two days about the James Harden of it all in terms of how he played and did he maximize what you can do in kind of ISO heavy ball. And I think maybe the answer is yes. So I just saw what the Mavericks did to get the conference finals where they had multiple ball handers, which is why I, I think Black is is some somebody I would be interested in. I heard um, a couple of us, Dalton Trigg of DallasBasketball.com actually reported this, but I heard through a couple of sources that Black, like Kid, really liked the, or not Kid, the Mavericks really liked Anthony Black's workout. Because Anthony Black is a big defensive guard who can't shoot, does that sound like anybody in particular? Maybe a certain <laughs> Mavericks head coach? So, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just... Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Right, because it's like he would be a guy kid would love, like just mm -hmm. on its face. And like, honestly, that has to factor into where I think about these picks because Lively has been a guy that's been thrown around that the Mavericks should maybe want. I don't think the Mavericks play Lively because being a big in the NBA defensively is much more complex than being a guard. You have more responsibilities at first, more to learn. I don't know. I'm 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 all over the map at this point. Black would be very interesting with Luca. I, I I wonder with Luca, you know, as he's training overseas right now, getting himself into shape and all that. I wonder if he's keeping it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wonder if he's keeping an eye on the finals here and watching his good buddy Nikola Jokic and seeing, oh, actually, the key to winning a championship isn't me doing my best James Harden impression. Uh, I actually have to give the ball up and share more. And that would require having more teammates because that's that's the one thing about Brunson. Like we saw the flashes of what could happen when he was in, you know, sharing the ball more often. But even then, uh, Luca still didn't fully embrace it. Um, we've seen him for his national team cutting off ball, moving without the sort ball. Of, being, they've even gone yeah, to more hardened ball with the they, national they team. They do. Yeah, you're right. More so lately than like when he was younger. But like yes, more, when he was younger, then you could see the signs of what he was for the national team. If he can just, if they can install a system incorporating some of that, and that's what Anthony Black, I would imagine, would help inspire because he is that connective piece. He keeps the ball movement. Like it never stops with him. Mm -hmm. So I, I, mean, would, I would hope it's such a weird team to kind of go watch their video. Yes. Up Cause they had no spacing. So Not at all. you consider a team like no matter where black goes in the NBA, he's going to have more space. And mm -hmm. I just sort of grant, I don't think he's there at 10. And if he is, I think you might Maybe. be right. That, that things go, go awry. I, I just, those, those range of guys are the ones that I'm really interested in. Now, before I let you go, there's, you know, there's a couple more players on the Mavericks roster that I'm sort of curious for your take on. Um, Josh Green, who for the longest time I was convinced wasn't an NBA player. He had a, a 2020 draft will go down as one of the weirdest ones in NBA history. It's kind of like the 2000 sure. draft. So it's, it's, it's less about Green and more about the process. And then 
there is um, um, Jaden Hardy. Do you have any sort of particular feelings on either of those players? Because the Mavericks fan base, when it was briefly assumed that that maybe LeBron James might be interested in coming to the Mavericks, I had Mavs fans being like, no, we cannot trade Josh Green and Jaden Hardy. And I thought I was going to die. <laughs> so I'm very, I'm very curious if you have strong opinions on either of those players. Uh, I mean, I, I really like Jaden Hardy. Uh, I, I mean, for the Mavs to get him at 37, that was a worthy gamble and upside pick. And we saw the flashes last year with what he could do as a scorer and both the G League and then, you know, the, the chances he got with the Mavericks. So I like Hardy a lot. I hope they keep him. I hope they continue investing in him moving forward. And then with, you know, Green, uh, like we saw the ups and downs with him. You know, obviously he stunk his first two years, but – his third year with the Mavs, pretty good. I mean, he shot the ball well. Real good. Flying, yeah, flying around on defense. He looked like a guy that could be a contributor. Uh, obviously, it fell off at the end of the year, and he did not contribute at all in the playoffs. He struggled a lot. Um, but moving forward for Dallas, he seems like the, the, he's the type of guy you want to have with Luka, um, especially if they're able to incorporate more movement into their offense in the half court. I think that could allow Green to flourish even more. So there, it seems had, to be like that, they're on the right page with some of these selections. Yeah. I mean, the, the challenge that we run into, we've been talking about this a lot on this podcast and Mavs Moneyball in general, is that Green is not a wing. Green is a 6'4 guard who is built like Russell Westbrook. Like he's a thick yeah. guy. But at a certain point, we talked about this a few minutes ago, you have to just have positional size because that's like Luka Doncic being the Mavericks best rebounder is one is one of the things that kills them defensively and just makes it so hard to build a team around. They just need big guys. And and that's where this draft is feels important to me because they, they just don't have a lot of, of, of pathways to, to bigger, better players. Yeah. I mean, Noah Clowney, if they to trade down, like I, I think he's a guy worth looking into as a Mavericks fan as well. Cause he's, you know, he's much different than Christian Wood, um, but like the the Christian Wood kind of mold, you know, big man who can space the floor, uh, big man who can provide versatile defense. Granted, he didn't always fulfill that. And he, you know, I mean, he also didn't get a lot of opportunity over the course of the year. It was, you know, he got it, then he didn't get it. It was up and down, up and down with Jason Kidd. Uh, I think Noah Clowney would be like kind of the inverted version of Christian Wood in the sense that with Christian Wood, he was, inconsistent noah Clowney is consistent he like he is stable okay. you know you're going to get effort from him on a night in night out basis on the defensive end so Clowney Clowney makes sense in that mold for them but obviously like a, a rookie big is not the only answer dallas needs a lot more than that um, no. but he's i think i think and getting two if they can trade down from 10 and get two or three rookies in the in the 25 to 45 range to me that would be a win for dallas to build this roster out and I just don't know if Luke would be happy with, you know, having all that youth on the roster. And I don't know if Jason Kidd will want to play all those guys, but probably you know. like, I, I think the Luca question is really important. And, you know, to our Slovenian fans, um, and what I'm about to say will make you furious. I think by catering to what Luca wants, you inevitably piss Luca off. Like <laughs> it, sometimes it, this is what's happened in Portland with Dame. We don't talk about it enough because Dame's so loyal, even though he talks about wanting to go to another city every time he's asked. <laughs> Um, every, every time you put a microphone in his face, he's like, really oh, Portland, Miami, Miami, my boys. God, <laughs> I but hate, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave though. NBA narratives. <laughs> it's, but with Luke, I think to a certain degree, you just may need to say, this is what we need to do. And mm -hmm. 
the 2020 draft in hindsight is, is very difficult for me because they had three bites of the apple, only one worked out. But 2020 draft, as we talked about a second ago, is really, really um, – it's just it's weird. And sometimes weird things happen, and you just kind of got to go with what your gut is. I mean, the odd part about the Mavericks in the draft, going back to Luka, so 2018 – you know, before 2018, the Mavericks didn't care about the draft because they had a guy named Dirk Nowitzki and they, there was no reason. You you constantly mortgage your future because you have a Hall of Fame caliber player on your roster. Obviously, Luka is too, but you have him under contract for a couple of years. So I, I just think that that what they've done in the draft when they've actually focused on it um, and didn't have, you know, 2020, we know for a fact that Donnie Nelson threw a fit and Haralaba Bulgaris had to make the picks. So he said so on record. Uh, but you know, Luca Brunson, pretty good draft. You know, Josh Green's worked out, maybe not the finest pick, but not bad. But then, and then now you got like Jaden Hardy. So it's trust your process, trust your scouting, trust your instincts, and maybe don't worry so much about what could happen and just go get guys who you are confident in. I mean, the Mavericks taught Dorian Finney Smith how to shoot that well. Luca gave him enough space to shoot, but I, I don't know. I just, I oddly believe in the Mavericks development. I believe like I have lots of criticisms for Jason Kidd, but what they did with Jaden Hardy last year was one of the team's success stories. Like he, he was, he was rough coming into the draft. Like, that's why he fell to 37. It's, it's just something I, I wish they believed in their process more is all. I think you're right on, honestly. Like, I, I think you got to tell Luca, hey, this is what this is what's going to lead to a championship with you here in Dallas. Just, just trust us. Yeah. Trust us. And, and you got to you got to do as a front office what you think is going to be the best path towards that and maximizing Luca, even if he's you know shouting and crying. If he if you put him on the floor with these young guys in their first or second years, and and you see the results follow, he'll grow to be happy. And that's what's going to matter if the results end up following. So you've got to do what's best for you. Otherwise, that's when you end up making these short-term mistakes. That's what the Lakers did in getting Russell Westbrook, trying to appease LeBron James and listening to him, uh, dealing future assets to to make the most of that time. Um, so I, I think for Dallas, they, they need to be cautious there um, and, and not per, you know make a rash trade with yep. the hopes of just keeping Luka happy. Well, Kevin, I kept you up for seven, ten minutes more than I intended to, but I'm very grateful for your willingness to hang out with us. I promise not to bug you to come on my show for at least a year to 18 months. <laughs> but in basketball time, sometimes thing it just all of a sudden it's, you know, sometimes the slog of the season feels like the year is never going to end. And then all of a sudden basketball will be here with us again. So, Kevin, um, we can find you on multiple places on the Ringer Network. To, I apologize. What is the name of your new show that you're doing with FanDuel? Uh, we got the new show on FanDuel TV is called Beyond the Arc, and that could be found uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays on FanDuel TV, or you can watch like a, an extended video podcast version on the Spotify app under the Ringer TV podcast feed, which is very I got confusing. that. It was really confusing <laughs> when all of a sudden there was a video of you going on on my Spotify. The Spotify video thing, like uh, there's just certain levels of content I've determined I'm too old for that I'm just like, because of what... Cause they keep changing and adding things. It's, but I've, I've enjoyed, um, I've enjoyed all, all your work, you and your, your, your podcast partner, Chris Vernon. I remember the first time I heard the show where Verno was still doing like real radio voice shtick and he wasn't being <laughs> conversational. And I was just like, this ain't going to work. And then within like a week he had changed completely. And you and he, you know, I've, I've listened to podcasts since I graduated college in like 2006, 2007. 
And you and he uh, have some of the best chemistry. It's just a delight listening to you. Um, is there anything you want to plug you. before you go, or you just want to go take a rest after the finals? Uh, I mean, if uh, if anybody wants draft content, just check out the Ringers NBA Draft Guide. Got all my scouting reports and profiles in there. Got an update coming out on Wednesday um, that'll uh, have a new mock draft, new rankings, new profiles. Uh, so, yeah, I love doing that and love talking draft with you, man. You don't have to wait 12 to 18 months to ask me again. Appreciate you having me on. <laughs> well, you're, you're the man for coming on. We will talk soon. Guys, this has been Kirk Henderson and Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer. Please like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, to the podcast feed. Please leave me comments. I do read them as evidenced by the fact that I opened the show responding to a comment. I very much appreciate people telling me when I'm a moron. It's much nicer than my son and my wife doing it, which happens more <laughs> than you would think. All right, everybody, have a great uh, rest of your night, and we will talk soon. Go Mavs.